Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. So here we are in the bottom of the ninth inning. Two outs and running first base. Mark Knutson, the tall right-hander, trying to nail this one down. He has thrown a gem to this point. Eight and two-thirds innings, giving up just three hits and looking for his fourth complete game for the speed and perhaps to secure his 15th victory. He's got a 3-1 to one lead here in the bottom of the ninth, but at the plate is the guy who has two of those hits, Manny Randawa. A single to center and a double to right so far. Knutson into his windup. Here's the pitch, and he throws a fastball right by Randawa for strike one. Randawa a bit tardy on that swing. Now we're ready for the next pitch. The windup, and here it comes. There's a swing and a long one. Into the gap in right center field, way back towards the wall. It's off the wall. Bichette can't get there. He's chasing it down, and out of nowhere comes Ellis Burke. He'll get to the ball first. The run's going to score. Randawa is around second. He's digging for three. Here comes the throw from Burks. It's going to be close. Here's the slide. It's it's the park-adjusted Rockies podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Mark Knudsen and Manny Randawa. The year 2021 was an eventful one for all of baseball, including the Colorado Rockies. It began with the trade of their best player and finishes with their remaining all-star in free agent limbo. The club got a new general manager and had a better-than-expected season on the field, even if that season left them near the bottom of the NOS once again. On this edition of the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast, veteran scout and radio voice Ed Henderson pinch hits for Manny as we look back on the year that was and wasn't. It was both a season to remember and a year to forget. Our revised lineup will break it all down. Stay with us. The opening pitch is coming up right after this. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present, Look no further than DenverAutographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall. Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at DenverAutographs.com. Learning life skills through baseball, USA Prime is more than just travel baseball. We mentor young athletes in areas like teamwork and skill development. It's about more than winning weekend tournaments. It's about showing young players how to achieve their goals in baseball and beyond. Contact Scott Horman at USAPrimeColorado at gmail.com for more information. Hi, welcome to the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. I'm Mark Knutson, your host. Ed Henderson sits in for Manny this week because Manny has taken another week off. You know, those big league reporters, they take all the time off they want. Anyway, um, Ed, appreciate you joining us. For those who don't know Ed Henderson, longtime scout. How long have you been scouting now, Ed? You know, I'm uh, coming up on year 29, Mark, so... Wow. Uh, Long time with uh, three different organizations, the Marlins, the Pirates, and uh, the Twins over the last 12, 13 years. So long haul, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. And you've been able to do some radio along with that, too, which is really cool because people like to hear from scouts and hear that perspective, and and we're looking forward to hearing that tonight. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. All right. um, Let's go back to the end of 2020, Um, the pandemic year. No fans in the stands, a a 60-game partial season, a a fake championship for the Dodgers. They only played a, thir- played a third of a season. Um, the Rockies lost $100 million. Everybody lost $100 million, reportedly. Big, big losses for everybody, obviously. So the Rockies are in disarray rolling into 2021. But the strategy became clearly just button up the hatches. Let's just, let's just close, close ranks here. Um, you know, we're bleeding money. We're not going to lose any more money. We're not going to participate in the free agent market, with one exception. They made one exception, uh, a signing. And tell us how, how they went about bringing in C.J. Crone. Well, I think CJ was a guy that they had been looking for in terms of his productivity, his, his experience, uh, a guy that I think 
based on what they had seen from him uh, over the last few years, would give them some stability at first base, both offensively and defensively. Defensively, I think very, uh, very adequate guy. I think, uh, yeah. I think performed better, Mark, than a lot of people perhaps expected. But the, the, the big bonus with him came with the bat. And obviously yeah. he put up some nice numbers in 2021. So Crone was a guy that uh, they, they were very interested in acquiring. I'm glad they got him, and I'm very glad that they're bringing him back. Yeah, it was a, it was a very good move. It's a typical kind of typical Rockies movie. Look for somebody who's kind of below the radar, not a not a big name, a guy looking to resurrect a career. And CJ did all that. And you mentioned defensively coming on the heels of the Daniel Murphy disaster at first base. Almost everybody was going to look good defensively compared to yeah. Murphy. But you're right, Crone did a nice job over there at their, at first first base all season, and he gave them probably more than they expected. They brought in Greg Bird also to a minor league contract. And a lot of people thought maybe Bird would be the guy, but Bird never sniffed the field at Coors Field. Well, I think, uh, unfortunately for Greg, one of the things that's plagued him for the last several years has been health issues. And yep. obviously I think that, that, you know, raised its ugly head again this last year. And I think the Rockies, after getting a good taste of what uh, CJ could bring to them, I think they felt like let's, let's leave Greg where he is and, and see if maybe we can bring him along in the future. But, you know, bottom line is, I think that, you know, with Greg, it was just a matter, Mark, of, of just not being able to put together enough uh, good, healthy games in a row. And uh, I think they felt like he was not a guy that they were going to be able to count on for the long haul. Yeah, that, that became apparent. One guy they could have counted on for the long haul had they chosen to was Nolan Arenado. Before spring training rolled around, I think it was in February, we get the word that the long rumored trade of Nolan Arenado, um, who was plain and clear in his desire to go play for a, a, a better team, uh, got his wish and was traded to St. Louis in what was widely panned. I, I think it remains one of the worst trades of all time. I know they got Austin Gomer, Gomber, but when you're trading a guy in, in his prime who's destined for the Hall of Fame, you need to get a lot more than one left-handed pitcher. And the, the, the prospects are middling prospects. They should have gotten the entire uh, Cardinal starting rotation for, for Nolan Arenado. Um, <laughs> They, Jeff Brightish, the former general manager, butchered that trade, and the Rockies tried to pass it off as if it was a good one, and it wasn't. Well, you know, Mark, I think that the damage, you know, that, that came out of that whole deal really started to grow probably two, three years back. Yeah. Uh, it was obvious between, you know, that, that there were some very bad relations between Jeff Breidich and Nolan Arenado. Uh, unfortunately, when it got out into the media and became a, a public issue, you, you know, being a former player, once once that gets out there, you're not going to be able yeah. to back away from it. Once yep. it's public, it stays public. I think the fans started weighing in on it. Both sides were sniping at each other from time to time. And unfortunately, the relationship just unraveled. You know, I think the only way that they perhaps could have resurrected that and maybe turned it around and, and found a way to perhaps keep Nolan would have been if they could have potentially had somebody else uh, in the negotiations with Nolan, aside from Jeff Breidich. That was yeah. not going to happen. Right. Um, you know, if that were happening now with Clint Hurdle in the mix, you know, I, I think maybe maybe you got a different outcome. Maybe I you agree. do. Yeah, I but, agree. Uh, I, it, it, it was pretty clear to me that once it started going south, it continued going in that direction and uh, it never turned around. Well, yes, I no one disagrees with that. However, the, the, this thing was at a head a year prior to this, before the pandemic. The pandemic team seemed to take the steam out of that that whole thing. I mean, right? I mean, because now the focus was elsewhere right. for obvious reasons. When the season ended, Nolan didn't have a very good year, a third of a year, I should say. 
Um, he was hurt and all that. And there really wasn't that much talk in November, December last year about Nolan being traded. I'll maintain till the day they put me six feet under that he was traded for financial reasons and nothing else. They, they, they could have gone along with the, the sniping. And, you know, Bridge ends up leaving anyway, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I think had the Rockies not lost $100 million, Nolan's still a Rocky because they, they saw a chance to lose $14 million instead of 35 by paying him all season. And they just couldn't afford him. And I just wish they had come out and said, because of the pandemic, we can't afford Nolan Arnold anymore. We're sending him someplace he can win and, be, and, pay, and his contract be played out, paid out. And, and I think if they'd have been honest, they might have got some more sympathy because play, you know, saying that we were afraid Nolan was going to opt out, when the actual opposite was true, they were afraid Nolan wasn't going to opt out and stick him with all that money for the, for the long term. And they just don't want to pay it. That's my, that's my stance. Well, I'll tell you, Mark, I think there's a number of factors that played into it. Certainly financial, a big part of it. But I I will tell you that I first began wondering what was going on there. Probably at the end of the 2018 season, they had a uh, postseason press conference at Coors Field, which involved Dick Monfort, Bud Black and Jeff Breidich. And I actually asked Breidich the question about, the opt-out, and much to my surprise, I, and I had not heard this before, Jeff made the comment that we, the Rockies, put that opt-out in there, even though yep. it was a player opt-out. And I thought, yep. what an odd thing to do. Yep. I mean, normally in a negotiation, you're not going to do that. The club's going right. to put those conditions in there. Right. You're not going to do something like that on behalf of the player. And that got me shaking my head thinking, why did they do that? But I think there was just so much damage done, Mark, between – probably 2017, 2018, and again, between Jeff and between Nolan, that I don't think they really could have resurrected it no matter what. So even if financial conditions didn't enter into it, and let's face it, financial conditions, considerations always right. enter into every decision, right? But uh, in this case here, I think it, it, there was so much mud in the water already, no way to turn it around, and I think the Rockies did what they did. No way to turn it around, but then Breidich leaves. And yeah. we don't know how, how much he was pushed, held, somebody held the door open for him, how much was on his, his shoulders. But Breidich is gone, you know, a couple months after, Nolan, after the Nolan trade. So now you're scratching your head. Why, why did they both have to go? Yeah, I, I, I didn't see that coming. I really no, didn't. No, I didn't either. I, I, I didn't either. I think uh, I, I was under the impression that Jeff would be here for a little while longer. I didn't yep. think he'd be here forever. But, uh, you know, I think he was a, a very bright guy. And I, I, quite frankly, in my discussions with him, I thought he was a good guy. I'm just not sure he was the right guy. And the problem with Jeff was that, and and I've heard people say this, and I think maybe Jeff would even say it. I think Jeff always believed he was the most intelligent, smartest guy in the room. (laughs) No doubt. No doubt. And the one thing I always go back to, people when they talk about Breitish can talk about, obviously, the Nolan situation. Right. uh, The DJ LeMayhew. To me, um, the biggest single thing that I thought showed me that, that, that there was something amiss there was when they brought in Ian Desmond. And I remember talking to Jeff the morning that they were introducing Desmond at, at Coors Field a number of years ago. And, um, you know, I said to Jeff, just the two of us talking in the hallway, I said, are you sure about this? And he said, Ed, he's a great athlete. He's played all kinds of positions. I said, that is true. But I said, he's never in his professional career played first base. And people may feel that that's an easy position to play. Mm-hmm. I can tell you mm-hmm. from having played it in college and, and in some other yep. Yep. conditions, it ain't easy. And, nope. 
And so if you take a guy, regardless of his athletic ability, and thrust him into a situation where he's, he's, in, um, he's in some deep water, uh, you can't always expect good results. And I think that yep. was, to me, one of the more uh, significant miscues uh, that during that occurred during Jeff's tenure. Well, that started kind of an avalanche of bad decisions. It really did. They ended up with, I think, the final number. And you and I are old school. We're not really guys with the new new analytics, but a war of or two hundred fifty six million dollars spent on free agents that accumulated a negative war, uh, and war yep. being wins above replacement. So that they could have got replacement players better than the guys they had, and they spent two hundred fifty six million, including Desmond, two hundred fifty six million dollars on those guys. And it just, I mean, that that to me was probably the reason when they look back on it, why Breidich was, was let go. He, you know, again, the smartest man in the room thing is you might think that, but you don't wear that on your sleeve. And he, not that he was going around saying it out loud, but he certainly gave everybody around him the impression that he felt that way. He talked down to a lot of us. And I remember sitting with Corey Sullivan in the dugout one day saying, looking up, up at Breidich when he kind of gave us the, the brush off. And I said, why does he think he knows so much more than those of us who played the game? And he did. That's how he felt. Yeah. That's how, yeah. that's the aura he gave off. And I think he alienated a lot of people. People's skills matter in that job. They just do, especially when you're talking well, about the and, and, and he I did know, a poor I, job I, of that. I, I spent a lot of time talking to Jeff over his tenure here. And the one thing that he always made mention of when we would talk was, he said, Ed, you're obsessed with pitching. And I said, Jeff, you should be too. Yeah. Um, you know, the bottom line is, if you look at the teams that are lining up for the World Series mm-hmm. uh, competition in the fall, there, there's one common theme that runs through almost every team. And that is mm-hmm. that they've got good or exceptional pitching. And yeah. I, I've always believed that uh, if, if you're in a position to challenge for a, a divisional title and you can, uh, you know, enhance that by bringing on some additional, either an additional starter or maybe yep. bolstering the bullpen, that's, that's a great thing to do. Yep. Uh, unfortunately for Jeff, I think uh, he may have gotten a little gun shy after the, the Brian Shaw, you know, uh, Jake McGee, Wade Jake Davis, McGee, yeah. all of that Wade Davis business. Yep. And I, and he may have backed away, but, you know, I had suggested several names to him of guys that I thought would not only be guys that could come in and, and, and perform adequately here, but guys that were accustomed to pitching here and would fit into their budget. And yeah. it was just kind of a, you know, well, that ship is sailed type thing. And I, I, I never understood that about Jeff. So, well, yeah, no, yeah, there was a lot of things not, not a lot of us didn't understand about Jeff. Um, one more thing about Ian Desmond in first base before we turn the page on that. Bud Black told me, I asked him one day about moving Charlie Blackman to first base. And he looked at me and he said, you know, some of the worst first basemen I've ever seen are converted to outfielders. Yep. And I, I doubled it. And he's right. You know, you think about it. Certainly Desmond fit that mold having played the outfield the year before. It's a much different game. I know it was a shortstop, but you're right. It's not an easy position. And he badly miscalculated. He badly miscalculated that Daniel Murphy could play the position. It's like yeah. he, he didn't think that defense was all that important at, at first base. I mean, Letting LeMahieu go and bringing Murphy in essentially a trade for the two of them, they got almost the same contract, was a catastrophic mistake and, and I think the start of his downfall. But So the Rockies don't do anything in the offseason except lose their best player, maybe the best player ever in franchise history, add C.J. Crone, go into the season, the prognosticators are saying this is a 100-loss team. This is going to be a 100-loss team. There's no right. question about it. They're loaded with three with 4A guys, as we like, like to say, a lot of guys who are on the cusp. 4A, 4A guys are unique, and I was that, I played that role for a while too. You have a, a different level of hunger and and drive when you're a 4A guy. Um, and I I told people I didn't think they'd lose 100 games first because I thought there were and they didn't obviously, but there were a lot of teams in the National League that were bad. <laughs> I mean, there were a lot of bad teams. You're not 
playing the Dodgers and the Padres every, every and as it turns out the Giants every weekend. You're you're playing some bad teams. So and they didn't lose 100 games. The Diamondbacks weren't any better. In fact, were way worse than they were. The Diamondbacks did lose 100 games. Um, so I give Bud Black a lot of credit. He took the what he had to deal with last year, what he had to play with, and he molded into a, a team that was initially really competitive on the road, especially, and and you know finished the year much better than people thought. So let's roll over some of the when the season started. Give me five things that you think went really well this season for the Colorado Rockies on the field. Well, I think uh, one of the things, Mark, that I would say was for me something that uh, I think helped them greatly and it helped them throughout the year is they didn't have, uh, with one or two exceptions, they didn't have a lot of guys getting nicked up early and and being affected throughout the entire season to where you're losing a guy for two months or something like that. So I think think that was something that, you know, from my point of view, I was looking at it and saying – if they are going to lose a hundred games, there's going to have to be a lot go wrong. And, right. you know, we, we know what some of that can be. It can be lack of offense. It can be bad pitch, bad starting pitching, the bullpen can't hold leads, all of that. But I think their ability to stay healthy early in the season and, and get them off, you know, not to a great start, but at least, mm-hmm. you know, keep them in the mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think certainly helped. I, another thing I would say is, you know, the, the performance of the starters, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, even though they didn't go as deep in games as I would have liked to have seen in, in a number of situations, Mark, I would tell you that I think the starters, by and large, I think were, were, were performing very well. Um, they were getting decent offense from, uh, you know, Chrome, and you yep. were getting decent offense from some of the younger players that were coming up that were really, you know, anxious to perform. And, right, and exactly. You know, I'm thinking of Daza as one that just yep. – you know, he, he was a guy that went out there and every day he was out there. Is he the most talented guy on the field? Probably not, but he's going to give right. you everything he's Something got every day he's on the field. He's playing for his job. Yep. He's Absolutely playing right. for his job. Absolutely. Um, I, I think, too, I think that uh, one of the things that I liked that I saw last year that I think certainly helped in terms of the pitching, both the starters and the bullpen, was Elias Diaz. I think yep. Diaz, Diaz was a, a significant contributor, and I think probably showed up bigger than a lot of people thought he would be. Oh, no uh, question. You know, we, we, we saw a very athletic guy in Tony Walters behind the dish over the last few years prior to Diaz coming on the scene. But I think with, uh, with Tony, there was just the uh, – he didn't have the stick that they wanted, and I think uh, they needed a little more punch there, and Diaz definitely gave him that. Yeah, I, I think you could, you could safely say that for an organization that's really never drafted and developed a, a top-flight catch, they haven't uh right. been petrick thing went went south on him with for health reasons and all that but they they've never had someone they drafted and developed who became a standout big league catcher i think it's safe to say diaz at least based on last season might be the best catcher they've ever put on the field for a full season i i would i would agree with that wholeheartedly and mm-hmm. i i'm glad he's going to be back and yep. you know mark to round out the five i would say one other thing that i was very pleased with was the defensive play of of a number of guys on the field and a guy that was really put in a situation where people were questioning, you know, how good are you going to be at that new role? Ryan McMahon. I mean, yep. he showed up big time at third base. And I think, you know, the, the defense was solid throughout yep. the season. I mean, they uh, and, and I give Ryan a lot of credit because, mm-hmm. you know, a, a lesser guy would have, you know, when you're when you're always being compared to Nolan Arenado, right. it's going to be very easy to say, well, you know, Nolan would have made that play or Nolan wouldn't have done that. 
Well, Ryan stepped in and I think did a, a fantastic job. So. Well, and, and to piggyback on that, I would agree with you. I piggyback on that, Brendan Rogers, who I would pinpoint as one very pleasant surprise for the season. Absolutely. Um, played solid defense. That was the knock, knock on the kid coming up to the minors. He wasn't a very good defensive player. And he came and played second base, allowed them to move McMahon to third and played very, very well at second base. So I think the, the you know, we can talk about the negatives because I think Trevor Story's season by and large was a negative. I, he didn't have a Trevor Story style I season. Agree. But the other two guys, McMahon, especially defensively, he tailed, his offense tailed off badly in the second half. But Rodgers, offensively and defensively, very pleasant surprises, both of them. You know, I have to tell you, Mark, I'm glad you brought Brendan into the conversation because from a scout's point of view, I want to see somebody progress from one year to the next. Yep. And I was concerned that Brendan was not going to be that guy that could step into a major league role and consistently perform at a level necessary to stay there. Uh, I will say, however, uh, I, I, I'm very glad to admit that uh, he proved me wrong. And I, I yep. was appreciative of the fact that, you know, he had a steady season throughout. He, uh, I, I don't think, I'm trying to remember, I don't think he got nicked up too much. I think he missed no. a little bit of time. Yeah. But, um, you know, in terms of his offense and defense, very impressed. And I think a guy that legitimately now can say, I belong at the major league level. There's no doubt about that. I, I think McMahon having, and this is the era of guys playing multiple positions, moving guys around and Chris Taylor in LA and plays all different positions. Right. So McMahon's versatility is certainly a, uh, an, an advantage. I will be surprised if he doesn't spend the full season at third base in, in 2022. It just yeah. seems like a natural move to leave him there and let him stay there and not bounce him around the infield like they did last year, which gives you a solid foundation uh, infield for a team that a lot of, have, has a lot of pitchers that try to throw a lot of ground balls. And that, you know, mentioned the pitching staff off the top. One guy, and I, I said at the beginning with the Aaron Auto Trade that Austin Gomber was, was not enough. But Austin Gomber, Gomber, other side from his very first outing, which was hideous against <laughs> the Dodgers, after that, he pitched very well for this team almost all year until he was injured. He did a really yeah. nice job. I, I couldn't agree more, Mark. I think he came in here with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, you know, with the idea of yep. being, hey, you know what? Everybody's saying that I'm to. I'm the throw in on the right. Nolan Arenado trade. I'm yeah. going to show you guys just how good I can be. Yep. Uh, he certainly doesn't lack for confidence. And yep. I think his performance throughout the year was very good. And, you know, with, with John Gray's departure, I think it gives Austin uh, even more of an opportunity this next year to, to step in and show what he can do on a, on an, yep. a what we hope will be a full season yep. uh, yet to be determined on that. Yep. But uh you know, I, I was very, very pleased. And I, I had seen some video on him before he got here. And I thought, you know, the tools are there. But, you know, there, I, I thought to myself, there's got to be a reason why the Cardinals, a team that knows pitching probably as good as anybody, would be willing to uh, part with this guy. Right. Well, I, whoever it was that insisted on Gomber being part of the deal, and maybe we got to give Jeff Breidich a little maybe. bit of credit for that. Yep. Um, but whoever insisted on that, that was a, that was a good move. Yeah, it would have been a good trade to get four more Gombers, and then it would have been yeah, a good trade. Then it would have been even exactly. Uh, you know, and we ought to mention Kyle Freeland too, coming back off an injury plagued partial season and having these difficulties. Even had some this year. Um, by the end of the year, Kyle Freeland was Kyle Freeland again, having added some pitches to his repertoire, working both sides of the plate better than he used to. Uh, it's going to be fun to watch Kyle Freeland moving forward because I think we've now seen a, uh, a legit big league pitcher um, develop into a, a potential potential star. I hope so, Mark. I mean, we, we've known that the uh, potential was there all along. I mean, when, when the Rockies were, were thinking about drafting him, I talked to a couple of the guys in uh, ownership at the time, and I said, hey, look, if he's available, when you guys select, go get him. I mean, I'd watched him in high school, 
and I knew what kind of talent he had and had followed him throughout his collegiate career. And I knew that he was somebody that if available, and again, I like bringing guys in that have pitched here before because mm -hmm. this, this mile high mystique doesn't yep. kind of get in their way too yep. much, but uh, I'm with I think you, for Kyle, obviously. It, it took some time to, to mature both physically and psychologically. And I think be, begin to realize, Hey, I belong here. You yeah. know, I, I'm not just here taking up a, a spot on the roster. I'm, I'm here and I can compete at this level. And I love being here playing for my hometown team. You know, my friend, Pete Vukovic, who I played with in Milwaukee, um, the star of major league, by the way, Clue right. Haywood, he was the star. He was the star <laughs> of major league. Anyway, Vuk told him, would always tell me that, um, say, you got to go in the off season. You got to come up with a new pitch. You got to do something different, a different arm angle, a different release point, something different because these guys have so much of a, this was before video. These guys got such a book on you that, and they're training to hit what you throw. You've got to come up with something different to show them every single year. And I think Kyle was kind of a victim of not doing that because he, he had success that year. He threw the one hitter against the White Sox, a near no hitter at Coors Field. I think he, things were going good. Came back and now the people, especially with the video, had seen him and adjusted to him and he had to adjust to them. And now I think when I say he's become a complete big league pitcher, that's what I'm talking about. Because I think he's now developed into the kind of guy that can get righties and lefties out, can, can give you something you're not expecting. He's not going to overpower too many people, but he, he knows how to pitch. He knows how to pitch here, as you mentioned. And I'm with you. I'm all for drafting and bringing guys in who have pitched in this climate before because they're not afraid. I had Pierce Johnson on this program a few weeks ago, Faith Christian product, Padres reliever. It was quick to tell Manny and I, hey, I don't have any problem pitching here. I, this is fine. I'm, I'm used to it. You know, I'm used yeah. to the way the ball moves here. And that's such a huge advantage when, you, and when, that, when that's the case. So anyway, I think you're right. The starting pitching is going to be a strength. Uh, and should be a strength was a strength last year should be a strength next year all right we got to do the unfortunate thing now about talk about um, the bad parts because they're obviously a team that lost 89 games or 88 games um, didn't have a magnificent season by any stretch better than they thought and again I'll go back and give Bud Black credit he got some coach of the year votes and he should have because this team was supposed to lose 100 games and then come close to that and you got to give him a lot of credit for that however um, things did not go very well in the in the standings and really the weird thing was early in the year they were winning games at home winning games at road, they couldn't win at home. They, they couldn't score yeah. runs at Coors Field, and that lasted all season. What was very the odd. It was very odd. And, and I'll tell you, just to jump in on uh, the buddy discussion, I completely agree with you there, Mark. You know, I, I had a conversation years ago with Jim Tracy, and the, the, the conversation was something along these lines that, you know, Jim, if you, if you are the best auto mechanic in the city of Denver, but the guy who owns the shop doesn't give you the tools needed to do your job properly right. – you're not going to be successful. And I think mm -hmm. with, with Jim, with, uh, you know, with, with uh, Walt and now with mm -hmm. Buddy, I think, you know, the, the Rockies ownership, the Rockies management is going to give them more tools. Give them, you know, these guys are very Nothing. capable, good managers, good coaches. They know how to get the most out of their players. They just mm -hmm. need more of the quality players yep. that are the kind of guys that are going to get you into, uh, you know, a, a point of contention. Yep, and I, I, makers, I yep. think Bud Black has done a magnificent job, and especially this last year. I, I totally agree. So what I will give, I don't know who's, who's making decisions, but I'm not a Dave Magadan fan. I think the, the Dave Magadan's from my generation of players, and we look at things a certain way. And the guys who are having success at hitting coaches now have, have moved past that. Um, the guy in, in L.A., I don't know, Sinovic or whatever his name is, never played professional baseball. But for whatever reason, the Dodgers – know the strike zone. They don't strike out a lot. 
they hit yeah. de- decent average, but they hit for power. They do damage when they step to the plate. The Rockies don't hitters don't have, haven't mastered the strike zone. They strike out all the time. They don't score run, runners when they're in scoring position. This is a bad offensive team, and it, it's got to fall to feet of the hitting coach. And, and they, they let Jeff Salazar go and brought in two guys to be his assistant. What have we seen from Dave Magden that makes people want to keep him around? I don't get it. Well, I think Dave's got a good reputation, uh, you know, from his playing days and, and probably, yeah. uh, you know, from his, his collegiate career. I, I think yeah. all of that factors in, Mark. But, yep. you know, to be honest with you, it's not about whether or not you like the guy or don't like the guy. Right. It's all about results. Like Clint yep. Hurdle used to say, this is not the we try hard league, right? I mean, yep. exactly. you know, you got to have results. And I think, you know, getting back to the whole hitting situation – one of the things that I noticed, and I noticed it early last year, was the plate discipline, uh, you know, up and down Bad. the lineup was non-existent. It's yeah, I mean, it's terrible. They're, they're fishing for pitches. They're going dipping outside the strike zone, chasing pitches that they cannot possibly hit. And right. if they do, they're just going to roll over on a grounder, punch it to first or, yep. or second, and, and be out. So I, I think one of the key things that I would like to see them work on significantly is, is getting better in the plate discipline department. Yep. And when you look at the teams that do well, and you talked about the Dodgers and the damage that they do, and you, you look at the Red Sox and the damage they do, yep. you don't see them chasing pitches outside right. the strike zone. They, yep. if, if it's not a strike, and, and sometimes even if it's borderline, the, the hitter's going to let it go. And, and yep. occasionally he's going to get rung up, but they're not going to be chasing stuff out of the zone. That's yep. something that this team absolutely positively needs to fix. Trevor Story didn't have a very good season. Um, he's in free agent limbo right now. He, hopefully he gets a nice contract. Perfect world he'd land in Houston, but that's probably not going to happen. Looks like Correa will go back there when the lockout is over. But um, I was disappointed with the way they handled the whole Trevor situation. It's almost like they held the door open for him. Here, Big farewell tour ball. The Dodgers didn't do that for Corey Seager. You know, this is not how you do it. And I, it's like they were inviting him to leave. And, and that in the John Gray situation, I think they butchered the trade deadline really badly this year. And I, I don't want to be too hard on Bill Schmidt. He's new at the job. He wasn't even the official GM at the time. He was the interim. But they really butchered that, that trade deadline when they could have gotten something for Story and for John Gray. Well, I, I, Mark, I, I understand what you're saying, but I might disagree with you a little bit on, on Trevor there. I think, you know, the smart thing that they did when they, when they didn't see a decent trade coming their way at the deadline, they made sure at the end of the year that they, that they gave Trevor uh, that qualifying offer, which ensures yeah. them of getting something. Okay, now, you know, and, and the other thing, too, that I think we need to keep in mind, and obviously in the, in the limbo that we're in right now with the CBA and the lack of any real discussion going on, I was reading earlier today that it may well be late into January before oh, yeah, they get into to the financials. I we oh, yeah. we can cover that ground a little later, but I'm going to tell you, I think that uh, you know people who have said, and I've heard a number of people say it. I know that Trevor Story won't be back. Well, how do you know that? He could yeah. possibly be if the if the right deal doesn't come around. If I'm Trevor, Mark, I might look at it from this perspective. I might say, all right, look, Rockies, I'll 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 sign a one year deal yeah. with you. And, and with the understanding being, I'm going to try, he realizes better than anybody, the, the subpar 2021 season that he had, right, right. he's not going to get the value now that he would have gotten, I think, had he yeah. had a typical Trevor right. Story season. So, see, you know, it's, it's, it's not inconceivable that he wouldn't be a guy see, that they would, 
you know, bring back on a one-year deal. He tries to get his stats up and then files for free agency next I, fall. I wrote, that in, I wrote that exact thing in August, Ed. I said he'd be, he should take the qualifying offer. It, there won't be a glut of free agent shortstops on the market next year. There won't be a lockout next year. He'll be the big fish in the smaller pond. And people laughed at me. He said, no, he's, and what bothered me, like I said, is the Rockies seem to be just, okay, he's gone. We're going to have, we're going to take, let him take the field by himself in his, on the last home game. We're going to say, have a goodbye Trevor thing. And I'm like, well, why would you do that? That made no sense to me because you're right, Ed, coming back might be his best option on a one-year deal. And I think I had Manny convinced that that was probably the case now too. We'll wait and see what happens if he ends up signing with the Yankees for a bazillion dollars and we were wrong. But I tend to agree with what you just said. And I tend to think that, that that would have been the right move for Trevor's story and, and come back, have a healthy year, put up big numbers and be the guy in the next free agent class. Uh, Absolutely. Well, let me, we'll, just, we'll finish up. Let me take a quick time out. We'll be back to wrap things up with Ed Henderson. Stay with us. We're back right after this. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars, past and present, look no further than denverautographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall. Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at DenverAutographs.com. Learning life skills through baseball, USA Prime is more than just travel baseball. We mentor young athletes in areas like teamwork and skill development. It's about more than winning weekend tournaments. It's about showing young players how to achieve their goals in baseball and beyond. Contact Scott Horman at USA Prime Colorado at gmail.com for more information. We're back on the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast with Ed Henderson, longtime uh, scout, professional baseball scout, and radio commentator in the Denver area. Ed, we, we've stopped by talking about Trevor Story's subpar season and the idea that, that we both share. We're a very small minority in this, that he should have come, should come back to Colorado for more years. That's still up in the air, as you said. The lockout, he hasn't signed with anybody. He's still a free agent in limbo. It's a terrible place to be. I've been there once. It's a miserable place even to visit. But um, we'll see where, what happens with Trevor. But let's assume that he doesn't come back. And let's assume that the Rockies went into this free agent, free agent period. There was this massive free agent spending spree. They've done nothing. They haven't done anything. People say, people close to the organization, like yourself, say there is money to be spent. They just haven't spent any of it. Um, can you explain what their thought process is in, when we start the second free agents period? Well, I, I'll tell you, Mark, I think that I, I have felt for quite some time that the Rockies need to spend more money on free agency, uh, sensible free agency. I'm right. not saying that they need to right. overspend. Right. I'm not thinking that you got to go out and get yourself a, an elite premium a number one shortstop, but you better have a plan. And I, I share your concerns over the fact that with Trevor, I'm not exactly sure where they're going to go in that, re right. in that respect. The other problem that they have is that, you know, and I was hoping that the Rockies and Bill Schmidt would, would be aggressive early, knowing that the lockout was a possibility right. and that they would be stopped dead in the water from making any further transactions. I was hoping they'd go out and, and make a few deals early and kind of take their chances and see where it happens, see what happens. Because my philosophy on this is real simple. I don't know when none of us know when this uh, collective bargaining agreement negotiation is going to conclude. But the one thing we can be assured of is that you're going to be when it does end, you're going to be in a mad scramble then yep. to try to complete rosters across yep. baseball. Yep. And. I, I think that that puts the Rockies in a very tentative position. They need more offense. I think they need more help in the bullpen. Um, we, we didn't talk much about John Gray, but I would like to see if they maybe could, could work in another starter somehow, if they could find that. But it all gets back to the money aspects. And I think, you know, I, I would think, and I, and I hope I'm right about this, that 
that Bill Schmidt is going to want to put his own stamp on this and not be looked at as, well, just another one of the front office guys from the Rockies that's in that role. Um, So I I hope that Bill's got some good plans for what they're going to do. But again, Mark, I'm very concerned from the standpoint that, you know, based on what I've been told from, from several people, players and, and front office people in baseball, I, I, I'm not optimistic that this thing's going to end anytime soon and yeah. we could lose part of the season. And let's face it, whenever this CBA gets finalized, they're going to have a limited amount of time right. and they're going to be competing with 29 other teams then to try to uh, bolster their, their roster. It's going to be yeah. a tough, tough deal. Yeah, nobody's advocating they go Texas Rangers and, and spend $300 million and the Rangers are still going to finish last in our division. Um, no matter who they are, that's just a great division, the American League West, and the Rangers aren't going to make any hay there. It's silly. You don't want to do that. But how much can you count on a Connor Joe and, and guys like that? Uh, Tapia, you know, Charlie Blackman's back for his probably his final season with the Rockies, hopefully as a designated hitter. But they, they've got holes. They've got holes. You mentioned the offense. Obviously, outfield needs a lot of work, too. And, and you mentioned bullpen. I would like to see him go after a Mark Melanson, a, a local kid who understands how to pitch in this climate for, you know, stopgap guys until you develop a closer. Daniel Bards, they're bringing him back, but he's not a closer. We've seen that. Um, they need help there. I don't know if Estevez is ready to be the closer. A lot of questions, as you said, said in the outfield, offensively and with the bullpen. And I don't know if those answers are, are can come from within. Well, I agree. And I, I, I'm a big Mark Melanson guy. And I was hoping that the Rockies would push hard to get him. Unfortunately, I think it was on the day that the lockout occurred, Mark signed with Arizona. So, you know, Melanson's off the board. That would have been a guy, you know, it it, kind of frustrates and a scout here for all these years. You got a guy, Melanson, that, you know, now will be pitching for not one, not two, but his third team in this division. And unfortunately, none of the other two teams are the Rockies, you know. So um, it's it's really unfortunate. I think Mark would have been a very sensible acquisition. Yep. And I think a guy that could have come in been very effective. But but they got a lot of work to do, Mark. And I I would I would hope right now that even though there's no transactional capability right now, I would hope they're working hard down at 20th and Blake to figure out, all right, when the faucet gets turned on, what the hell are we going to do and how quickly can we do it? And uh, we'll see. That's the perfect way to put a cap on this one. Ed. I appreciate it very much. What the hell are we going to do and how the hell are we going to do it? That's, that's exactly where the Rockies are right now. That is exactly where they are right now. Hey, we appreciate it, Ed. As always, I think my gut feeling is this gets settled and we don't lose any regular season games. I think the sports betting industry is going to be kind of like the good old boys were in Vegas back in the day. You don't mess with this. It's a good thing. We're not messing. Nothing's going wrong here. You guys are going to play. There's too much money at stake um, with, the, with the sponsorships and all that. So we'll see. But um, whenever it gets started, I look forward to spending some time with you and hopefully talking about an improved Rockies team for next year. Let's hope so, Mark. All the best. There he goes, Ed Henderson, longtime scout, baseball expert around here. Join us on the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. Manny Randall will be back next week. We'll continue to reminisce about Rockies from the past and uh, hopefully get some things going for the future. So thanks for joining us this week. Stay with us. We'll be back next week with a new edition of the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.